Well, good afternoon. It's great to be together today, isn't it? To uh, witness the happy event of a baptism and to sing praise to our God and uh, to uh, hear the preaching from the Word of God. And now we're going to turn to Mark chapter 15. We're going to read verses 21 to 41. So Mark chapter 15 and verse 21. Just picking up the passage just uh, as they have led the Lord Jesus out to crucify him. And here's what we read. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. It was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joses, and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And what we've read is the Word of God. We're grateful for the privilege of reading it together and trust that the Lord will add His blessing to to what we've read. You know, there are some days in the history of this world that stay in your memory forever. If you were alive on Tuesday, September the 11th, 2001, 
You probably remember exactly where you were when you heard about the terrorist attacks in the US on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon. I certainly know I remember where I was. I was at work, I was in a hospital in Glasgow. I remember us gathering around the TV screen and watching the news footage and trying to make sense of what was happening. More recently, maybe last year, you can remember exactly where you were on Thursday the 8th of September, 2022. That was the day that Queen Elizabeth II died. And maybe you remember where you were when you heard that news. I remember sitting at work and having the TV news playing on my iPad and, and hearing the news. And maybe you can remember where you were. And there are other significant days in world history that are like that. You know, what we've read about today is surely one of the most significant days in the whole of world history. I say one of, but you can argue whether it's the day that or the day that we'll read about next week when we look at the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. You can't have one without the other, can you? And this is surely one of the most significant days in world history that we've read about today. So, we've, we've, worked through, we've gone through Mark's gospel, and we've learned what Mark's been teaching his readers about who the Lord Jesus is. And is, Mark has made clear to his readers that the Lord Jesus is someone who has authority over demons and disease and nature and death. And he's revealed that this one, Jesus, is the beloved Son of God. And, and the Lord Jesus has told his followers, his disciples, on several occasions that he's going to suffer many things. He's going to be killed, and after three days, he's going to rise again. And the disciples have struggled to kind of grasp that, at least in its totality. And now it's happening. And he's been betrayed, the Lord Jesus has. And he's been arrested, and he's been sentenced to death by crucifixion. And we heard a little bit last week about just how that was, that was the cruelest mode of dying, the cruelest form of punishment that the Roman authorities could conceive of. It was utterly violent in the extreme, barbaric, and deliberately intended to be the most cruel way to punish someone that anyone could conceive of. It was horrific. We heard last week of how the Lord Jesus has, by this point, been scourged. And that means he was beaten with this whip that was, that was horrible, interwoven with pieces of bone and metal. It would tear through the, the skin and tissues in his back, right through to exposing often bone and organs. And, and they've done that already. And then onto his his back that's been scourged. They put a purple robe and they put a crown of thorns in his head and they spit on him and they mock him. And then they rip that purple robe off of his back and they lead him out to crucify him. We're going to look just for a little while. First of all, and for a large part of the time, we're going to look at the Lord Jesus on that center cross. We're going to see what Mark tells us about the Lord Jesus. We're going to see what we learn as we read about the Lord Jesus being crucified. And then we're going to see that Mark presents us with 
only two possible responses to the Lord Jesus and Him crucified. And Mark presents us with various people who are united in one common factor. They reject the Lord Jesus. And then we're going to look and see that Mark presents us with other people. People who were very much in the minority at that scene, but the ones who loved the Lord Jesus, trusted in the Lord Jesus, were followers of the Lord Jesus. You know what we're going to see this morning? We're going to see that it's still the same today. We are going to look at this man on the center cross, and we're going to see that you can't come away from that neutral. You either reject Him, or you trust in Him and follow Him. So, we're going to look at these two groups. So, let's look at the Lord Jesus crucified. So, they lead Him out to crucify Him. They compel a passerby, Simon of Cyrene. That was an area of North Africa. And uh, they make Him carry the cross of the Lord Jesus. We'd have had some considerable weight, that cross. And they make Him carry it, and they bring Him to the place that's called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. Golgotha was the Greek name. Sometimes we know it by its Latin name, Calvary, which is just a, a, a translation, basically. So, Golgotha, Calvary, place of a skull, same place. A place just outside the city walls of Jerusalem. And there were both Jewish and Roman customs that said that he had, the Lord Jesus had to be taken outside the city walls to be crucified. They offer him wine mixed with myrrh, and the intention was that that would have a bit of a deadening effect on the pain. Well, that was one of the effects of it, so he wouldn't take it. He was going to experience, in all its horror, all that the cross would entail. And he wouldn't take that wine mingled with, with myrrh. You think on myrrh, don't you? And you... Maybe, the, maybe when you mention myrrh, the first thing you think about is what the wise men brought as one of the gifts to the Lord Jesus soon after His birth. Of course, even at His birth, there was this looking forward, this foretelling of where the Lord Jesus' path on earth would lead Him to in that cross. So, He won't take this wine mingled with myrrh and... We read in verse 24, four of the most poignant words in the whole of world history. And they crucified Him. And they crucified Him. This was the whole moment that the Lord Jesus' path on earth has led him to. He's come intentionally to go to that cross. In fact, you know what? In many ways, it's the moment that the whole of the Bible, the whole of Scripture points to, because right from the moment you open your Bible in Genesis, you see little foretastes, little glimpses forward to the fact that the Lord Jesus is going to come, and that He's going to be the ultimate sacrifice, the one who's going to deal with sin. And Mark sums it up in four little words here. And they crucified Him, and they crucified Him. And Mark's account is actually remarkably matter-of-fact, isn't it? You know, 
This situation was horrific. This situation was cruel and violent beyond what we could really contemplate, even if I were to try to explain to you the full violence and barbaric nature of, 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 of death by crucifixion. And maybe Mark, well, Mark's audience would have been more familiar with crucifixion than maybe a, a 21st century audience would be, but maybe there's another reason that Mark just says it so matter of fact, and they crucified him. You know, maybe Mark's just wanting to avoid generating something that's purely a superficial, sentimental, emotional response with nothing more than that. Now, don't get me wrong. When someone repents of their sin, when someone appreciates something of what the Lord Jesus has done for them, there will be emotion. If there's not, there's something wrong. But Mark is certainly in setting him, setting out just as bland as that. There's nothing there that's going to generate some sort of sentimental response with nothing, nothing underlying it. No repentance, no faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, and they crucified him. But, you know, let's, let's be clear. If you're trusting in the Lord Jesus, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, there is going to be emotion when you grasp something of what the Lord Jesus did for you. You know, I sat last night at my desk. We had a Bible teaching conference here yesterday. We had a great time. I went home. I sat at my desk and I was reading this passage again and reflecting a bit on just what the crucifixion actually evolved. And uh, yeah, there was tears in my eyes. And I'm saying, Lord, you really love me. Hey, I knew it. I knew it already. I knew it abstractly, you know, but you're sitting there and you see what he did for you. I said, Lord, you really, you really love me. You really, really, really love me. And they crucified him. I remember back in 2004, there was a, a movie that was uh, brought out. It was called The Passion of the Christ. And it tried to depict the suffering of the Lord Jesus. That movie was so horrific. It was so violent that it was given an 18 rating. So it's up there amongst the most violent movies ever made. And it still didn't manage to capture the horror of what actually happened in that situation. You know, as I tells us prophetically, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. It was worse than even an 18-rated movie could capture. Why am I saying that? I'm not saying that to try and generate any sentimental, superficial, emotional response. Absolutely not. It's very important. You know, sometimes we can get a bit sentimental about the cross because we become used to thinking about the cross. We don't want to just sentimentalize it. It was horrific. And they crucified him. And they cast lots for his clothes. They gambled for his clothes. And it's, it's interesting, actually. Time and time again, when you read through the account of the crucifixion, you see fulfillment of things that were prophesied in Scripture many, many, many years before. So in Psalm 22, for example, we read, they divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. It's the third hour, that's 9 a.m., 9 o'clock in the morning, when they crucify him. 
There's an inscription written. It says, the king of the Jews. So Pilate's maybe in some sense is trying to find some justification for why has he sentenced this man to death? The king of the Jews. Some sort of rebellion type narrative maybe springing in his mind. But, you know, he's also provoking the Jewish authorities a bit. They rejected him. They didn't accept him as king. They wanted it changed to this man said, I am king of the Jews. And Pilate says, no, no, what I've written, I've written. So he's on that cross, he's crucified at 9 a.m. The sixth hour, so that's 12 noon comes. And something utterly remarkable happens. There's darkness over the whole land from 12 noon till 3 p.m. Darkness. Now, that was utterly remarkable. That was supernatural. That was God intervening. And for three hours in one of the parts of the world where they're used to bright, bright sunshine, darkness covers the land. In the middle of the day, for three hours. And in, in those three hours of darkness, enveloped in darkness, there's something that happens that's, that's beyond what any filmmaker can even hope to in any way portray. Peter writes in his epistle, first epistle, he says this, it's right to believers in the Lord Jesus, this is Christ also suffered for you. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. You know, man had done the worst they could to the Lord Jesus. They vented their hatred against him. They had put him through the most violent treatment they could think of but then something beyond even that happens in those hours of darkness the Lord Jesus the perfect son of God the one in whom is all God's delight he has no sin he had nothing to be punished judged for the righteous God of heaven Judges the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus bears our sins in his own body on the tree. God's righteous. God, God has to judge sin. We are the sinners. We all have sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. And there's no point in pretending otherwise or making excuses. We've just got to get cut to the chase. Face facts. God's a holy God. God must judge <coughs> sin. The Lord Jesus gives himself as the perfect sacrifice. At the ninth hour at 3 p.m., he cries out with a loud voice. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the opening words of Psalm 22. And we, we can't start to contemplate what that meant. For the Holy One, the absolutely perfect righteous one, to be forsaken, to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you know what? 
seeing this, can we read words like that? We can't comprehend them. Let's just, you know, let's just stick with the words of Scripture and stand back and wonder. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Someone runs, fills a sponge with sour wine, gives it to him to drink. Fulfillment of Psalm 69, for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. And Jesus utters a loud cry, verse 37. He utters a loud, a loud cry and uh, John in his account of the crucifixion tells us what the Lord Jesus cried in that loud cry. He cried out, it is finished. It is finished. Because he's done the work. He's paid the price and paid it in full. Paid the price for sin. He didn't owe that debt. We sometimes sing with the children. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to take my sin away. He paid that price. Paid it in full. Nothing left to do. And he says it's finished. The deal's done. The price is paid. He breathes his last. John tells us he bows his head and gives up his spirit. He's in perfect control to the end. Something else remarkable happens. Verse 38. The curtain of the temple is torn in two from the top to the bottom. You know, that inner curtain had separated the holy place from the most holy place. And in Hebrews in chapter 9, we read a little bit about what went on there. So there was this most holy place behind this curtain and the priests could regularly go into the first section before the curtain and perform ritual duties. But into this most holy place behind this curtain, only the high priest could go could only go once a year, couldn't go without taking blood, sacrifices. But then the writer of the Hebrews tells us Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. And that barrier, that barrier, the only one person, the, 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 the high priest, could go in, and only once a year, suddenly it's torn in two from the top to the bottom, and the price is paid. And the way is open for us to approach God, not just one person, not just once a year, not just if they come with, 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 uh, with, with some sacrifices. It's open for all who will trust in the Lord Jesus, who will believe in him, to come, not on the basis of themselves, on the basis of him, on the basis of that finished work, on the basis of his own sacrifice, because he offered the perfect sacrifice. He came by means of his own blood. And the curtain is torn, and it's torn from the top to the bottom, and it's as if God's saying, look, it's torn from the top to the bottom. This had to come from God. God had to make the way. It couldn't come from the bottom to the top. Man had no hope of making a way to God. God makes the way. The curtain's torn from the top to the bottom, and the price has been paid. And it's been paid in full. And that's the message of the cross. And when we're faced with the message of the cross, people respond in only one of two ways. And Mark makes this very clear. We're going to look just for a few minutes at the rejectors. And then we're going to look at those who believed. The rejectors, so those who passed by. And we read of them before. Mark details them before the Lord Jesus actually died. And those who passed by derided him and they wagged their heads and they said, ah, you who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. And they didn't seem to even realize that they're actually fulfilling scripture again because in Psalm 22 it says, all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me, they wag their heads. 
And the people mocked and they misrepresented what the Lord Jesus had said. It talked about uh, destroying the temple of his body, John tells us. And in three days he would raise it up. And isn't it great that even in that moment, we look forward to what we're going to read about next week. That he really died. He was buried. But on the third day he rose again. And so the passers-by mocked. And that's such a common response, isn't it, to the gospel today? It's such a lazy response, really, isn't it? It's very easy to mock. You don't even need to sort of think about what the person is saying to mock them. You just need to misrepresent them a bit, take it out of context, and, and get a crowd around, a bit of an audience, and you can mock. It's easy. It's lazy. And it's what a lot of people do today. And, of course, God's not mocked. Read in Galatians that whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And then the chief priests and the scribes, the religious authorities of the day, they join in. You know, often opposition to the Lord Jesus comes from religious circles itself. And the chief priests and scribes join in. They say he saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross. That we may see and believe. Do you know what? I'll be forever grateful that he didn't come down from that cross. You know, there they are. They're taunting him and saying, come on, come down from the cross. He didn't come down from that cross. You know, I, I in my very first uh, job that I had... Um, in, in York Hill Hospital in Glasgow. One of the consultants I worked for was a Christian. His name was Alistair Fife. Um, he's retired now. He's, uh, and, and, and he, uh, you went, if you went into his office in, his, in, his, in the hospital, he had a poster up and it said this. It said, it wasn't the nails that held him to the cross, but his love for you and for me. Praise God, he, came, he stayed on that cross. He did not come down. And then there's those who were crucified with him, the robbers, one on each side, and they reviled him as well. And rejection of the Lord Jesus is so easy. Join in with the crowd. You'll be in the majority. You'll have friends. You'll be popular. You might get a few laughs. But there's something very clear. Rejection of the Lord Jesus means no salvation. It means no forgiveness. Let me be very honest. Because the Bible is honest. Rejection of the Lord Jesus means eternal judgment. But you know what? There were the rejectors. But Mark also makes it very clear. There was those around the scene who believed in the Lord Jesus. One of them was someone who you would have thought would be a most unlikely believer. Let's look at the believers now. You see, Luke gives us a bit more detail about these two robbers on either side. And one's, you know, they both, they both start off mocking him. And we read of one saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. And then the other realizes what he's been doing and repents and says, do you not fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation and we indeed justly for we're receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you today, you'll be with me in paradise. So this robber confessed his sin, cast himself on the Lord Jesus. He has literally nothing to offer. He can't say, well, I'm going to try and do better from now on. He's about to die. He can't say, well, I'll do this, this, and this. He's about to die. He doesn't try and make excuses. He just casts himself on the Lord Jesus, confessing his sin. Reminds us of not one thing any of us can do to earn heaven. We each have to be like that, the, the robber who repented. We have to repent and we have to trust in the Lord Jesus. The Bible tells us very clear, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And you know what? The Lord Jesus is still saving unlikely people. You know, a few years ago, Sonia and I had the, the privilege of meeting a chap called Nicky Cruz. Maybe you've, you've, you've heard of him or read of him or, 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 or seen the, the movie, The Cross and the Switchblade. And Nicky Cruz was born in Puerto Rico. He had a horrendous upbringing. 
parents practiced witchcraft. He was severely abused as a child. His own mother would call him son of Satan. At the age of 15, he's sent away by his parents to live in New York City with his brother. He soon runs away from there. Before you know it, he's living in the streets. He's a member of a street gang called the Mau Mau's. He rises up to become the leader of the gang. And then a man called David Wilkerson steps in. He's a preacher. And he tells Nicky Cruz, he says, Jesus loves you and is never going to stop loving you. Cruz responds by slapping Wilkerson across the face and says, I'm going to kill you. David Wilkerson doesn't give up. Wilkerson organizes a, a, a meeting to preach the gospel. Nicky Cruz and some of the gang members come there. And Nicky Cruz hears of the Lord Jesus and asks God to forgive him and trust in the Lord Jesus. Many of the gang members subsequently became Christians. They turned in all their weapons. The police couldn't believe it when they turned up at the police station to hand in all their weapons. And Nicky Cruz now, uh, you know, still tells people about about the Lord Jesus. But you know what? Maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, I don't have a story like Nicky Cruz. Remember, every believer in the Lord Jesus is, in a sense, an unlikely believer. Because our natural heart is enmity with God. But as God, by his grace, opens your eyes, and if you're seeing, well, I'm a guilty sinner. Jesus died for me. You, too, can be saved. And if your testimony is like Nicky Cruz's, great. If your testimony is like mine, brought up in a Christian family, became a Christian as a child, great. Praise the Lord, because every testimony is a wonderful testimony. So then there's a centurion at the crucifixion. And he's no doubt seen many crucifixions, and uh, maybe he's long since become desensitized to the horror of it. And uh, he sees that this man, Jesus, is, is different. And uh, as he sees the way that the Lord Jesus breathes his last, bows his head, dismisses his spirit. He sees the way he's conducting himself on the cross. He says something remarkable. Truly, this was the Son of God. And maybe you're looking on and you've been you know, hearing about the Lord Jesus today or, or, or throughout this series, if you've been with us through, through, through the, the, the whole series, and you've, you've followed Mark building up this, this, this uh account of who the Lord Jesus is. He's got authority over disease and demons and death and, and he's suffered and he's died. Don't just stop it, intellectual curiosity. Confess him as Lord. Recognize him as Lord. Trust him as saviour. Believe in him. And then there were the women. There's Mary Magdalene. There was Mary, the mother of James. There was Salome. There's many other women. They followed him in Galilee and they ministered to him. And by this point, most of the men have fled. Most of the men are out of there. They've run off. Who's still there? The women. And who's going to be first on the scene on resurrection morning? The women. And particularly in the culture in which the Lord Jesus moved, where culturally women were not valued. And the Lord Jesus is completely countercultural in actively demonstrating the, place, the, the value that he places on women. And it's still the same today. You know, uh, one, of the, one of the women who had a real impact on my Christian life growing up was a lady called Krista Ross. She lived in St Andrews. Some of you might have known her. And uh, she was a remarkable Christian woman. We went on holiday to St Andrews every year from when I was about four years old. And much of our summers were spent there. 
and uh, Mrs. Ross had grown up in, she'd been brought up in Germany and uh, quite an experience that had been. She'd married her husband Ian and uh, he was in the British forces. She moved to Scotland while he was overseas in uh, Aden serving. She had gone along to a Billy Graham rally in the Kelvin Hall in 1955 in Glasgow and she'd heard of Jesus Christ, the Savior, and she trusted in him. She wrote to her husband, Ian, and uh, said, look, God's shown me to be a sinner. I've come to faith in the Lord Jesus. If you can do the same, maybe we can spend the rest of our lives serving him together. Long story short, that's exactly what happened. And uh, she certainly spent the rest of her life serving the Lord because she was out there every day on the streets giving out tracts or going into the halls of residences with Bible calendars or when the open golf was in town, standing there where she knew that the uh, golfers would be. She would, she would sometimes she'd be remarkably intuitive about uh, Tiger Woods will be coming past this way. I've got to stand here with a Bible verse. And she would get to them. When Prince William came to, uh, uh, came to St. Andrews to study, she was, she was going to be sure that she was going to be ingenious and in how she managed to get a, get a tract to, uh, to Prince William. And she served and she served and she served. She confided, I remember once her confiding to Sonia that her boldness that really was characteristic didn't come naturally to her. She found it tough every day going out there. She did it because she wanted to serve the Lord and she wanted to reach people with the gospel. Now she's with her Lord and Saviour. Her husband Ian uh, went to be with the Lord a few years before her and they're united now and, and with their daughter who, uh, uh, who, who also uh, is, is with the Lord and... Uh, uh, what a remarkable uh, Christian testimony. So we've looked at this cross. We've seen that when we're faced with the cross, when we're faced with the Lord Jesus on the cross, everybody makes a response. You can't really come away neutral. Mark makes that clear. So where are you today? I mean, you know, just, just, just answer this in the quietness of your heart. If you want to talk later, please come and get me and we'll, we'll talk all afternoon if, if, if you want. But, you know, where are you? are you? Are you in the majority, the ones that reject him? Or are you with those who believed? Like the, the robber who repented and said, look, I've got nothing to offer. I cast myself on you and trust in the Lord Jesus. Or, or the centurion who's seen it all, but says, this man's different. This man's the son of God. Or the women who say, well, you know what? See, even when everyone else has run away, even when the rest of his followers have run away, most of them, we're going to stay. We're going to be devoted to the Lord. Every one of us responds. And the message of the Bible is clear. This man, this man saves sinners. This man receives sinners. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Thanks very much for listening. We'll just pray and then I think Stephen's got a, a final hymn for us. Our Father, so with a real sense of awe that we come into your presence just now, realizing the solemnity of the events that we've read about today, And they crucified him. Round about that scene, many who rejected, but some who believed. We pray for everybody here. 
in a world where many reject and many mock. If there's somebody here this afternoon and they've heard of who he is, they've heard of what the Lord Jesus did and they've never trusted him as their saviour, may today be their moment of casting themselves upon him Knowing your word says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. We give thanks for a wonderful saviour. We say hallelujah. What a saviour and we give thanks in his name. Amen.